Would you guys join me in praying as we come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, uh, I am already grateful for what you have done in our time together. Lord, for how I believe you have been moving this morning when your people have gathered and how you will continue. So may you just have your way. Father, may I decrease and you increase this morning. Speak to the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've already heard uh, Indonesia mentioned a couple times uh, here this morning. And most of you are aware, Kim Shirley and I, as Kim shared earlier, um, went and spent a week with all of our international workers um, gathered from all around Indonesia. There was about 40 uh, different workers that gathered with us. Um, Shirley and Hannah Tony, who most of you know, worked with the children there and did a phenomenal job. Uh, but as we were preparing for that week, uh, in the months leading up to it, uh, the team that was in charge of, of that time together uh, gave me a, a passage of scripture to kind of use to, to lead our time together. Um, Kim and I, as well as uh, a brother named Aaron from up in Columbus, uh, we were in charge of kind of leading a worship service for them uh, each morning and in one evening because where they are, they don't get to have church. Um, Many of them are the only believers they know in their island or in their city. Uh, definitely, many of them are the only Western believers that they know. And so they don't get to gather and have a church service. They might be able to listen to some worship online or go and find a, a, someone preaching online that they can listen to. But to gather with believers and worship together and to hear the word taught together is something most of us take for granted. Uh, and yeah, I'd rather go camping instead, or you know what, I'm just kind of tired this morning, or I'll go, but I'm kind of phoning it in. They were so hungry, because it's something one week a year that they get. And then they go 51 weeks waiting for the next one. And so it was encouraging uh, to walk into a room full of people, not that you aren't, I'm not trying to down you in any way, but to walk into a room full of people that I knew were hungry for what God was doing, and so they give me this passage to kind of lead our time together. And I'll be honest, my, my first initial instinct was I reached back out and I said, you picked the wrong passage. Because uh, they gave me a passage from Jeremiah chapter 6. And I know we all know our Jeremiah. Uh, we all know how it breaks down in the book. And Jeremiah chapter 6 uh, is this chapter of condemnation. It's God telling Israel, I'm going to bring in other nations and I'm going to wipe you off the map. I'm because of the way that you have lived, because of what you have done, I'm bringing condemnation on you. And, he, and the, the entire chapter is this kind of doom and gloom. And I'm reading through it and I'm going, what are you doing? Why would you gather for one week and talk about Jeremiah chapter six? But in the middle of all of this doom and gloom of God going, I'm going to pour out my wrath because of what you've done is Jeremiah 6, 16. And it's this kind of bright spot. If, if you've ever seen when it's on a really cloudy day and there's that single ray of sunshine kind of coming through and most of us stop our cars and look at it, it's beautiful. Jeremiah 6.16 is that sun ray coming down. And in the middle of all of this condemnation, God says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. So in the midst of, of all of this, here's what's going to happen. God says, but you still have an opportunity. Wake up. Stop and look. 
You're at a crossroads. Seek for the ancient paths. Find the good way and walk in it. Really what this is, is this is a warning to the nation of Israel against what I'm going to call drift. The nation of Israel had drifted from the path that God had set their feet on. And this wasn't like a one time they were doing great and they just one day said, ah, forget you, and turned hard, turn off the path. This was this gradual drifting away from who God had called them to be. This gradual drifting off of the path. And this was not a surprise. God had been warning them against drift since the nation was founded. In, in Joshua chapter 1, God says this to Joshua, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. You hear the warning against drift? Don't let yourself get pulled to the right or to the left. Keep my law, God was saying, keep my word before you and let it guide you. Otherwise, you're going to drift. Again, in Proverbs, there's so many different passages that talk about this, but in Proverbs chapter four, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left, but keep your foot from evil. God, he's trying to hammer this in to Israel and going, you have to understand. The, um, the hymnist says, our hearts are prone to wander. And God knew this, and he's going, hey, hey, check yourselves. Make sure you're not going from the right or the left. Stay on the path. Be steadfast. Keep your eyes fixed straight ahead, Israel. Your hearts are prone to wander. Guard your heart. Guard your mouth. Guard your eyes. Because you have to understand, you are prone to wander. And we today find ourselves in the same way. It's easy to read through the Old Testament at times or even parts of the New Testament and go, these guys just didn't get it. How could they do that again? Because we read hundreds of years of history in a couple chapters and we go, how could they let themselves wander so far? But are we really any better? Our hearts are prone to wander. And I think that God would say the same thing to us. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. We need to stop and ask for directions sometimes. We need to find our way back to the well-trod paths that lead to him. We need a change of course, a change of direction. This word that I've been using, drift, it actually comes from kind of organizational leadership. We know what, like drifting is an actual word. Something is set adrift at sea and it's just kind of lost and rudderless, pushed and pulled by the wind and the waves. But it's, it's kind of come into vogue in the last couple decades in organizational leadership and they use the term mission drift. And it's this idea that we have this mission, we have this goal, we have this purpose, and we have to protect ourselves from drifting to the left or to the right. And so they use typically a mission statement, this kind of very clear, this is why we exist, 
to help them decide what decisions are we going to make, whatever, because we have to achieve our goal, and we can't be pulled off course by anything that distracts. Nike, for instance, one of the most, uh, man, I'm losing the word here, one of the biggest, most successful companies in the world. Here is Nike's mission statement. Bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And then the little asterisk there, it says, if you have a body, you're an athlete. Okay? So Nike, con congratulations, yes. Some of you didn't know. Nike would say, you're an athlete. Please buy our shoes. So th that's their way of going. We can sell to anybody. But they have this goal in mind, this mission that they are after, to inspire and innovate for athletes. So when Nike's board of directors or whatever they're doing, in a perfect world, every opportunity that comes to them, they're going to go, does that help us achieve our goal? We should, uh, we have this opportunity to join with the Paralympics and create like a new kind of wheelchair that will help para-athletes, uh, or I would just say athletes in the Paralympics, compete even better. Nike would look at that and go, does that help us meet our goal? Church, would that help them meet their goal? Yes. Google comes to us. We should uh, create this app that is going to help people do the whole couch to 5K thing. Uh, and we'll, bring, we'll innovate. We'll do it in a new way they haven't experienced before. As Nike, does that help us reach our goal? Tesla comes to us. We should create a Nike-branded car. Think of how many units we would sell. People will love it. We will make so much money. Our stockholders will be super pleased. As Nike, should we do this? No. Now, Nike might do it. I don't know. It's hard to say no when Tesla calls, I guess. But they have a mission. And this has to guide them. They have to be careful that we don't drift from it. Because once they get into the car business and the whatever else, they become less successful at doing what they were made to do. Does this make sense? Countries can suffer from mission drift. This is actually what most of politics is founded on, one side stands and goes, this is who we're supposed to be as a country, and the other side is trying to pull us in a different direction. They're trying to force us to drift. And the other side, who has a very different idea of who we're supposed to be as a country, is going, no, they're causing us to drift. And then somebody comes up in the middle and goes, they're both causing us to drift because we're actually trying to go over there. And it becomes super confusing. But this is the whole idea behind most of our political campaigns, is w there is a country that we're supposed to be. And listen, not even just in the States. This is global politics. There's a country that we're supposed to be, and those people are forcing us to drift away from it. And we got to fight against them. So elect me, and I'll get us back on track. It's what politics is based on. Churches can suffer from mission drift. Uh, we, as a church, as Elkins Alliance Church, we have, and don't put it up there yet, we have a, a vision statement. We've talked about it a lot in the past couple months. We would say Elkins Alliance Church exists to do what? Come on, guys. <laughs> to not drift. <laughs> My wife gets it. To see every person involved in kingdom life. You guys knew it, right? You just need to be able to start it. Great, great. Elkins Alliance Church, the vision that we have is to see every person involved in kingdom life. That is why we exist. That is our mission. That is our goal. And we have to make decisions based on does that help us achieve our goal or not. 
we, we even have a couple values that we put in as guardrails that I'm not really going to teach much on. Go ahead and put those up there for me if you would. Divine expectation and engagement. Helping people live with an expectation that God is going to show up in their everyday life and to partner with him when he does, to engage with him. Equipping people to do that. Practical discipleship. Helping people learn what it is to be a follower of Jesus in our everyday lives. Being a family on mission. That we're unified together and we're moving somewhere together because we have an outward focus. These are the things that we help try to protect ourselves from mission drift. Because there's so many opportunities, there's so many programs, and we have to decide what we can say yes and no to. And so we have this mission in mind, and we have to protect ourselves from mission drift. So let me ask you this question. What causes a church to drift from her path? Most churches have a, a mission statement. Most churches have some kind of value statements. What causes churches to drift from their paths? Because we've all seen the headlines. We've, we've all heard of the churches that are doing stuff that we go, what? Who are, who are teaching things that we go, how, how could you ever get there? What causes churches to drift from their original path? Peer pressure? Joe? Okay, a disconnecting from the word of God. Peer pressure, uh, who said peer pressure? I heard it over here somewhere. Peer pressure to what? Okay, yeah, uh, like things that are going on in the world around us, things that are going on in our culture. There's always pressure to not take a stand on this or to, okay, to be more popular. We, we gotta put butts in seats here, people. Isn't that truly the mission of the church? We all know the answer is no. It's tempting. Well, We, we want to see people come into relationship with Jesus, but let's be honest, Jesus has some rough edges, right? There's some things he said that go, and I probably wouldn't have said it that way, Jesus. And so sometimes we try to soften his rough edges a little bit, which is very much giving in to the culture and moving in that direction. Kitty? Yeah, right. It's all around us. Everywhere you look, culture is telling us to go a different direction and none of us wants to be the nail that sticks up and keeps getting hammered down, right? And so there's that pressure to move in culture's direction. What else? What causes a church to drift from our path? Politics. Politics? I would say becoming inward focused mm -hmm. and being so concerned just about us and not the lost. Right. It can get messy working with the lost. It can get messy trying to bring people toward Christ. And it's much easier to just go, hey, are you guys all happy? How do we just do things in a way that we like and makes us happy? David, do you have a hand up? Yeah, this is sort of a misdirected focus. Okay. Yeah, misdirected focus and kind of bringing together even what Kim had said, sometimes even in a good way. Sometimes like we can say yes to a program, an opportunity or whatever that looks good but doesn't fit who we are. And maybe it's not our opportunity to take, maybe it's whatever, but it doesn't help move us toward our goal. You see, there's an old saying, if you say yes to everything, you're actually saying no to everything. You can choose, we're going to do these few things well, or we can do a lot of things poorly. 
you know, kind of idea. And so sometimes our focus can kind of get so broad that we can't actually do anything really well because we've just, not even necessarily bad opportunities, though some maybe, even good things, but that just take our focus away from where it should be. I think legalism can too. Sure. It's interesting how in all the times that God keeps warning Israel specifically, he says, don't drift to the right or to the left. And there's always this, we can give in too far this way, but there's an overreaction the other way that's equally dangerous. We can become so much like culture that people don't actually need Jesus because we're just telling them, hey, just be good, everything's fine, and whatever makes you happy. Or the church is also often to go, we're going to be so against culture, we're going to make extra rules to make sure that we're extra set apart and we're combative with the culture. And so there's this right and this left. There's this caving and this overreaction that can often happen. But God is calling us to walk this narrow path in the middle, to be the the church that he is calling us to be, and to not allow ourselves to get to react or to overreact in any one direction. There's, there's one word that covers a ton of this that no one's mentioned yet. It's three letters. Sin. sin. I mean, a lot of this just boils down to, if we have harbored sin, if we have undealt with, unconfessed sin in our body, we will drift. Because we will need to cover it up and hide it, we will need to fake it, whatever it might be. Sin will always cause us to drift. The, the, the word sin in the original language actually means, it's an archery term, most of you have heard this before, it means to miss the mark, to, to aim right or left and to miss the bullseye. Sin will always pull us off the path that God has called us to. Individual believers are in danger of mission drift. Up to this point, it's been all about organizations, but each of us individually is in danger of drifting from the path that God has called us to. There's a universal calling that we all share. Uh, and there's many different ways to talk about this. One of the ways that, that we often talk about this, and it's, it's on the wall if you go into the other building in the foyer, that each of us as individuals, every single one of us, are called to know him and to make him known. You guys have heard that before now, right? You remember reading it on the wall right above the map? To know him and to make him known. Every single believer falls under this umbrella. We are all called to know him more and to share him with those around us. That's a, like, kind of a broad path that all of us are called to. But then there's also a unique calling that we have, an individual calling. So oftentimes we use the word calling only to mean those that are called into some kind of professional ministry. Missionaries and pastors, and then we kind of like cut it off. Those are the people that can be called. I believe that you are called to be a teacher, that you are called to be a plumber, that you are called to be a doctor, that you are called to be a landscaper, whatever it may be, that God has uniquely gifted and equipped you for a specific work at a specific place at a specific time. I believe that the calling is just as strong as my calling to to go into professional ministry. That's a disservice that we've done to the church for years now. 
What is the calling that God has given you? What is the unique path that God has put each of us on? And are we drifting from it? So let me ask you this. What causes individual believers to drift from the path that he has set us on? We kind of talked about churches and organizations. What about individuals? What causes us to drift to the right, to the left? Okay. Poor time management. Again, you say yes to everything. You're saying no. Like So many of us have so little margin that if God's actually calling us to something, we go, sorry, no time. Let alone even time to sit and listen, maybe. But time management and kind of that, that discipline piece can be a huge part of it. What else? Sin. Sin and social media. You guys said those together. That's crazy, right? <laughs> Interesting how that worked out. Sin as a whole, just like it does for an organization, same for an individual, it will always pull us off the mark. Social media. How does social media cause us to drift? Well, you spend so much time on that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What about even for sleeping? That'd be crazy, right? Yeah. It doesn't even have to be something super spiritual. Sometimes just for like looking your spouse in the eye, for asking your kids about how their day was. I mean, any number of things. Social media, certainly, I'm not going to, it's not an evil in and of itself. It, it really isn't on the level with just sin as a whole. Like, but it can certainly be a tool used to cause us to lose focus. And when we lose focus, we drift. When we go on autopilot, we drift. What else? You mentioned it, but the lack of spiritual discipline. Like, if we're not eating for anything. Sure. If we're not daily practicing any kind of spiritual discipline, like, yeah. how would we even know? Like, I don't know if we're even drifting or if we're, yeah. I mean, we're literally just drifting. If you aim for nothing, you're guaranteed to hit it. Yeah, you know, we're just always drifting. How, how many of us even have some sense of what is the Lord calling me to? What has the Lord called me to? Most of us don't know. We're, we're, we go, okay, to know him and to make him known. I kind of get that a little bit, and that's where we stop. But going, Lord, what is it you're calling me to? What, what is the path that you're calling me to? And I don't just mean where should I work. That can be a piece of it. But who are you calling me to be? How are you calling me to live? This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. We find ourselves at an intersection. Simply by being here and by me posing these questions to you, you find yourself at an intersection today. And the Lord is calling you to stop and look around. You are at the intersection of culture and faith. The intersection of selfishness and holiness, of busyness and rest. Like you could name so many different intersections that we may find ourselves at this morning. Stop and look. Many of you, as you stop and look, you may look around and you realize like things don't look like they ought to. I, I, I don't think I'm where I'm supposed to be. Things don't look familiar right now. It's like back in the day before cell phones existed, when you would be driving around a new city and you'd go, I've passed that McDonald's four times. And I couldn't just Google, hey, where am I going? Like, oh no, nothing looks familiar or that McDonald's looks way too familiar. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. You're walking out in the woods and all of a sudden all the landmarks that you had been using are gone. And none of these trees look familiar. What is the first step when you find yourself in that kind of situation? Stop 
and do what? Yeah, definitely don't continue on. <laughs> that is the absolute first step. Then what? Reorient yourself, okay? Ask for directions, says a woman. <laughs> the very first, you know, men, they're right. Like every time your wife is gone, I think we're lost. They're right, because here's the first step, figuring out that you're lost. Or often admitting that you're lost. That has to be our first step until we can be honest enough with ourselves to go, I don't know where I am anymore. I don't know where I'm going. Nothing looks like it should. I think I'm lost. I think I have drifted from the path. Until you admit that, you will continue on. And you'll keep going in circles or even worse, just further into this city you don't know. You ever, you ever accidentally driven through the bad part of a town? No one needed to tell you, don't cross that street. You just all of a sudden reached for the locks. Like, that's because you wouldn't admit that you were lost. The first step is we have to admit, Lord, where are the areas in my life where I have drifted from the path? This morning, have you drifted? Are, are you lost and wandering? Rarely does this look like my whole life has just been thrown off the path. Often it's in certain areas at work, with my spouse, with my children, just between me and the Lord and my, my spiritual disciplines, whatever, like I'm, I'm drifting, I'm wandering. So let's say I'm going to Morgantown. Again, this is pre-cell phone. I can't just say, Siri, take me there. I'm going to Morgantown. I have a map, paper map. It's, it's a map that they printed on paper and they would, yeah, there was a whole class on how to fold it. But I realize I'm lost. What's my next step? I know where I need to go, and I know that I'm lost. Look at the map, and what do I need to do? I need to figure out where I'm at. Okay, I've admitted that I'm lost, but until I know where I am, what am I doing? We have to figure out where we are. If you're looking at your life, again, maybe just in this one specific area, maybe it is, hey, in general, I'm drifting. Lord, where am I? Where did I veer off the path? What were the decisions that I made that, that helped me to drift? When did I just take my eyes off the road and end up where I am? We have to figure out where we are so that the next step can happen. What's the next step? I'm lost, but I know where I am and I know where I'm going. Chart a course forward. I have to now figure out what's my plan to get unlost. What's my plan to get back on track? Listen, now what we often do is we try to skip to the third step. You might not even be sure you're lost yet. You certainly have no idea where you are, but we're going, okay, so what's your plan? How do you move forward? And it's like, read my Bible more? Like, that's always the answer. Uh, pray more? Those are not bad things. Those are, those are absolutely steps. But if we skip just that humbling of ourselves and going, I think I'm lost. Lord, show me where I'm really at. Until we achieve those, we can't truly chart a course forward. I'm going to keep reading this passage. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Many of us, when I talk about have I drifted, am I lost? And when I say lost, I'm not necessarily speaking of 
lost and saved, like no longer walking with Jesus. Or, I'm just talking about that drifting. I have drifted away from him in this area. I've drifted away from who he's called me to be, how he's called me to live, whatever. So when I use the term lost, I don't mean it like lost and saved necessarily. But many of us, when we go, okay, am I lost? Like what? It's hard to even know. Sometimes we've kind of wandered for so long, we don't even really know. But Jesus doesn't leave us without some help. Notice the last line there. Find the good way and walk in it. And, and what will we experience? Rest for our souls. He gives us a clue. Because very rarely in life are there that clear of road signs. Take a left. We have to discern. And one of the tools that he's given us, and I think it's one of his greatest tools, is rest. Peace. Or lack thereof. It's an indicator of the good way or of drift. Do I have peace in my soul? Is, is there instead restlessness and anxiety and it's all just churning inside because I got to figure a way out? Men, you know the feeling inside when your wife says, I think you're lost, but you're not ready to admit it yet. There's a little panic going on in your head, like, I got to figure this out. There's no way I can let her be right. Like, and we're just working, working, working on the inside. And many of us, this is how we're going through life. This stress and this anxiety. We've drifted from the path. And these are signs of a lack of peace, a lack of rest for our souls. And so I think that this is one of the greatest indicators for am I lost and, and where am I? Where are the specific areas of my life or parts of my life where there's just this churning? where the motor never stops running, there's a lack of peace and a lack of rest, that is the Lord's way of helping you pinpoint you've drifted in this area. And I think until we do that, we can't get back on track. So what I want to do this morning is give you some time just to reflect personally. Go ahead and put those questions up there for me, if you would. To ask yourself these questions, you and the Lord, where in your life, what in your life is exhausting you? What are the things that even just to think about it, you have this internal groan? Monday starts tomorrow, and for many of us, we have that thing that happens on Monday, it's often called work, that we go, oh, gosh. I mean, I'm exhausted even just thinking about it. I, I try to block it out. What are those areas where you're exhausted? Where are you experiencing pressure to perform, to get it perfect? The if I don't, and you start to feel the, the wheel start spinning. What parts of your life overwhelm you and threaten to steal your hope? What parts of your life are you just going, this will never change? One thing that marks those who are on the good way is hope. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's something each and every one of us is called to multiple times throughout the New Testament. We're called to be people of hope, but if we're honest, there's certain parts of our life where we've given up hope. We're scared to hope. We can't see a way forward. And so we just go, this is how it's going to be. I'm just going to be this run down for the rest of my life. What robs you of joy and replaces it with anxiety? Do those questions make sense? So what I want to do is just give us a couple minutes. I'm going to be quiet to just, between you and the Lord, ask these questions. And I'd encourage you to write them down. If you don't have something, take a note on your phone. I mean, whatever it looks like. What does the Lord bring to mind? Where are the areas of your life where you're anxious, where you're missing hope? 
where you just feel that pressure that you've got to get it perfect. You've got to perform. And you're just so tired. Let's see what the Lord says in the next few minutes. I know that's probably not enough time to go through it, but hopefully at least maybe give you a glimpse or the Lord maybe brought like at least one area or one part of life. How many of you struggle with silence? Like when we just stop and get really quiet. I'm, I don't deal well with awkward silences, meaning every silence is awkward for me. Am I the only one? Seriously? Okay, thank you, some of you, for being honest. Uh, it gets better from here. Um, and for those of you that love awkward silences, it's going to get worse for you in the next couple minutes. Because what I want to do is I want to encourage you to grab two or three people that are around you and to share. What, what area of your life? And, and pick one. I need you to pray for me in this area. I need, to, I need for you to pray that I would find rest in this area. That the Lord would reveal himself, that he would show me where I'm at, that he would show me a way forward, whatever you need to find two or three other people around you and just to share that and to spend time just praying for one another. Praying for one another in the middle of a church service for some weird reason has become awkward and weird for us, which is kind of a shame considering who we are. I think in that area, the church as a whole has drifted from the path that we don't just gather and pray together more. And so what I wanna do is encourage us to do that. And you may look at the person sitting on the other side of the aisle and, uh-oh, you made eye contact, but you're going, I don't think I know their name. Oh, no. Like, just introduce yourself. Here's my go-to, because I forget people all the time. Uh, if that's you, I'm sorry. But I will say, look, I don't remember if we've met before. I'm Bryce. It's nice to meet you. It'll be okay. And listen, your prayers for each other, some people are like, oh, no, praying together. Like, they don't have to be eloquent. I fumble through prayers all the time and I've yet to die from it. Just to lift one another up as imperfectly as you know how, just to get together and to pray for each other. Does that make sense? So get together, groups of three, four, whatever that looks like around you, and somebody kick it off. I need rest in this area, will you pray for me? And then we'll gather together and worship.